Hello everybody and welcome in episode number 283 of the Bible 2021 podcast. We are reading 1 Peter chapter 3 today and our focus is on does baptism save us? Does the act of baptism bring salvation? And is it sexist that the Bible calls Christian wives to submit? Well, we go through God's Word daily around here on this podcast. Every day we seek to understand the Word of God, reading a chapter or more at a time. Our goal is to get you involved in daily Bible reading and grappling with the real truths of God's Word so that we can obey and follow Him wholeheartedly. Our website is Bible2021.com. That's Bible2021.com. Please check it out. Each episode has its own transcript as a blog page, and there's also a way to contact us with questions and comments. And you might want to hit us up with some comments after you hear what I've got to say today. So let's open with some controversy, shall we? Perhaps the single most controversial thing in the entire Bible, maybe for the last 20 or 30 years, is the teaching that wives must submit to their husbands. And Peter is going to lead off this chapter today with just that command. So there's no way of avoiding it or hiding it or whatever. And here's what verse one says. In the same way, wives submit yourselves to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. Well, look, This is much the same thing that Paul says in Ephesians 5 and Colossians 3, and it drives people crazy today. And the reason it drives people crazy is because they cut the verses out of their context. And look, let me be very clear. I don't mean to say or imply that Paul or Peter is not calling wives to submit. There's really absolutely no grammatical doubt about it. The Bible, Paul and Peter Various chapters calls wives to submit to their husbands. There's just no way to be faithful to what the clear text of the Word of God says and admit that. But, and it is a big but, that's not all of what the Bible says about marriage and husbands and wives. God's Word has certain commands not only to wives, but to husbands as well. And if you miss that, you might cry sexism. Well, here's what I wrote last year in discussing the same issue while we were reading through Ephesians 5. In a biblical marriage, the husband serves and sacrifices in every way, that's what he's commanded to, and the wife submits, that's what she's commanded to. Neither is easy, and this is obviously different from what most people in the world think of as marriage, but I would argue that that is absolutely biblical and absolutely beautiful. Husbands sacrificing, wives submitting. Is it easy? Not even close. Is the Bible's teaching on marriage set up in a patriarchal way to benefit the husband? Well, look, the only way to argue for such a thing is to denigrate the cross of Christ and minimize his sacrifice because the husband in a Christian marriage is not there to be served, but to serve and to give his life for his wife in a similar way that Jesus gave his life for the church. And that's what Paul teaches in Ephesians 5. He gives us a glimpse into a wonderful mystery. The husband and wives in a marriage model the ministry of Jesus and the reality of the gospel in their interactions with each other. When a husband sacrifices himself and serves his wife, that honors Christ. When a wife submits to her husband, that honors Christ. And I think it's beautiful because 
Jesus submitted to the will of his father and he sacrificed himself for his people. So husbands and wives like are reflecting the essence and the character and the actions of Jesus when they serve in sacrifice. Does my marriage model these principles? Well, not always. My wife and I love each other very much. But look, let's be real. Submission and sacrifice and serving are difficult. Uh, I don't always sacrifice and serve my wife the way I'm supposed to. And I don't know, she doesn't always submit the way she's supposed to. But I can tell you that our marriage is best when I am serving and sacrificing and not seeking my own will for my lovely wife and when she's submitting. When we model submission, sacrifice, and serving, we model the wonderful way that Jesus interacted with his heavenly father. So to reiterate, wives are called to submit and husbands to sacrifice, not get their way. Husbands are called to give themselves to their wives and put their wives' needs first, which is an easier thing to do. Which one is easier? They're both hard. They're both difficult. And allow me to say this, because over the years, hundreds of years, men who've called themselves Christians have abused the heck out of these scriptures, and that's infuriating. So let me be very clear. A husband who demands that his wife submit and refuses to love her the way Christ loved the church by sacrificing his needs and desires for her, a husband who refuses to do that is an abomination. He is out of line. He is wrong. There is absolutely no room in a Christian marriage for any sort of misogyny or machismo, men who are abusive or bullies or who lowered it over their wives. No. Husbands are called to sacrifice and points out Peter here in today's passage, they are called to honor their wives and seek to live with them in an understanding way, working to understand them and their needs and sacrificing to meet those needs. That's what Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 7, husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Let me say real quick, weaker there seems to mean physical strength. For instance, uh, my wife is about, I don't know, 90 pounds or so lighter than me. I am probably stronger with her than her. That's what it means. Weaker partner, physical strength. It's not a denigrating statement. It's just a kind of a statement of size, and it's not that way in every marriage. There's, obviously, there's some wives that are stronger than their husbands, but generally speaking, the man is usually physically stronger And this is what Peter's saying. Understand your wife. Lest any husband miss it on this, Peter says, if you don't treat your wife well, husbands, then your prayers will be hindered. In other words, God won't listen to your prayers. (laughs) That's terrifying. And it sounds like it means something along the lines of, husbands, if you mistreat your wife, you're on your own. That's pretty scary. Husband, if you fail to honor your wife, or treat her with understanding, your prayers will be hindered, not heard. Well, shifting gears with a great deal of grinding, because we're totally going to a different topic, let's talk about baptism. I'm a Baptist preacher myself, so I'm a fan of baptism, as you might imagine, but does baptism actually save somebody? Is baptism the act that brings salvation? Well, one might get that idea with a less than careful reading of verse 21 in today's passage, Baptism, says Peter, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Whoa, hold on, Peter. Are you saying that the act of water baptism is the thing that brings salvation? Actually, I, I don't believe he's saying that, as he makes very clear in his parenthetical statement, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. Well, here's Charles Spurgeon to help us understand that. He says, baptism is a type and symbol of salvation, just as Noah's ark was, for therein we, being spiritually dead with Christ, are buried with Christ in the outward symbol and rise from the water, even as Christ rose from the grave to live henceforth among the twice-born race who fear not the second death. The story of Noah's preservation in the ark is a suggestive representation of salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. It is, we think, especially intended to depict that part of our salvation which lies in the washing of regeneration. In the same way as baptism is the outward symbol of regeneration, so also is the ark, wherein few, that is, eight souls, were saved by water. The ark was immersed in those dreadful rains and awful cataracts which deluged the earth, and Noah's family were buried in that ark to all the world, but by this burial they were floated out of the old condemned world into the new world of life and grace, death to the world, and burial in the ark were the means of their safety. And, similar to that, says the Apostle Peter, even baptism does now save us, not the putting away the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism is a most significant picture of regeneration, but is in no sense the cause of the new birth, and the blunder of those who believe that baptism saves lies in considering the outward manifestation of an accomplished fact as though it were the means of creating that fact. Baptism saves no one except, as Peter says, in figure. But as a figure, in figurative language, it is eminently full of divine teaching, for it sets forth the great truth that the believer, standing today in the old world, old world is buried to that world, quote, buried with Jesus Christ by baptism into death, and rising from the figurative liquid tomb, is the figure of his resurrection in Christ into a new world as a new man. Quote, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so also we should walk in newness of life. Would to God, says Spurgeon, that we thought more of being dead with Christ, bearing, buried with him, and risen with him. Brothers, let Noah in his ark preach the work of righteousness within the heart to all of this this morning. As Romans 6 says, which is the verse there that Spurgeon alluded to, uh, verse 3, Paul says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, we will also be certainly in the likeness of his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be rendered powerless, so that we may no longer be enslaved to sin." Well, that text shows quite clearly that baptism is a great symbol and a picture of that which actually does save us, which is not the water washing us. It is the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. Well, let's read our passage in total. This is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. In the same way, wives submit to your own husbands so that even if some disobey the word, they may be won over without a word by the way their wives live when they observe your pure, reverent lives. 
Don't let your beauty consist of outward things like elaborate hairstyles and wearing gold jewelry or fine clothes, but rather what is inside the heart, the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For in the past, the holy women who put their hope in God also adorned themselves in this way, submitting to their own husbands, just as Abraham, uh, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. You have become her children when you do what is good and do not fear any intimidation. Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Finally, all of you, be like-minded and sympathetic, love one another, and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing, since you were called for this, so that you may inherit a blessing. For the one who wants to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit and let him turn away from evil and do what is good. Let him seek peace and pursue it because of the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Who then will harm you if you are devoted to what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you are blessed. Do not fear them or be intimidated, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame." For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in the past were disobedient, when God patiently waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. In it a few, that is, eight people, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers subject to him. Amen. Well, we close out today with our Bible memory passage for the month of October, which is 1 John 4, 7, and 8, and it says, Dear Friends, Let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Amen. Good day to you, friends, and may it be a blessed Sunday, a blessed Lord's Day, and Godspeed.